Well, good morning. Hey, we're in week two of our summer-long conversations centered around uh, the book of James. And last week, we uh, determined who the author was, and we also talked about uh, the reality that we're going to face trials, and they're not great, and none of us love them, and yet when we recognize what God is trying to teach us through those trials, then we can come to a place where we can find uh, a sense of joy. And so if you missed that, it's online if you want to catch up, but this morning we're going to move forward. And, and I don't know what you know about the book of James, but it really doesn't leave us alone. It's, it's kind of like being in a fight where you're just taking the punches. It's tough, but yet it makes us better. It makes us stronger. And in week two, we're talking about hearing and doing. That James in, in 119 is addressing this key issue that, that many of us uh, have missed in our lives where we hear, but we don't do. And some of us, we hear and we do the opposite, and you know who you are. There's this idea that what James is imploring us to do is to hear and to do what we're hearing. And I can't imagine, you know, hearing and not doing. Other than if you've had a toddler or a teenager, then you know, or if you're a husband, you know there are moments and times when we hear, but we don't respond. And what James is doing is saying, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You're listening. You're hearing. God is speaking but it's not transferring into your behavior. And like hearing a tornado siren, and instead of taking shelter, you go outside to see what the weather's like. Not that we would do that, but James is saying a lot of you are listening to God's word. You're reading, you're in church, you're hearing. But you're doing the opposite. And I look at the big C church, and I look at a lot of uh, churches, not a lot, but I look at some churches, and I think, have you ever read God's word? Do you even connect yourself with Christ? Like you're saying these things that are so contrary to God's word. And we may not overtly be doing this, but if we're not directly tethered to the scriptures, then we're going to end up doing a lot of things that are going to cause harm and, and damage, and, and we're going to expend a lot of effort and energy and, and money and, and all of this stuff towards doing things that, that don't bring glory and honor to Christ. And as humans, we're really great at hearing and not so good at doing. And so we have some room to grow there. But obedience is essential. It is, it is critical and a necessary step in choosing to walk with God. So if you're here this morning and you've not made the step to follow Christ, understand that obedience is an essential step. If you're here and you've chosen to follow Christ, understand obedience is a necessary step for all of us to walk in, hearing and doing. They've got to go hand in hand. And in James 1.19 it says this, My dearly loved brothers, understand this, everyone... Turn to somebody around you and say, everyone. You are everyone. Someone watching online, you are everyone. You in this room, you are everyone. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. James is giving us three very basic things, and yet before he gives us those things, he's saying, I need you to understand this. There's a reason he's telling us that we need to understand this, because sometimes the most simplistic things can be the things that we ignore the most. Sometimes the things that seem the most obvious are the things that we have the hardest time following through with. And what I've realized about my life 
is that when I look at my life through the lens of these three things, be uh, quick to hear, be slow to speak, and slow to anger, when I run my life through that lens, I realize I am quick to speak, I am really slow to hear, and I am extraordinarily fast at getting angry. I realize my life is the antithesis of this passage. And if you're anywhere near my level of, uh, of disturbance, then you realize what it's like to live where you're quick to speak and you're, you're not, not so good at, at hearing and you are really good at anger. I'm the, the Tiger Woods of getting angry. There's this idea that James is calling for all of us to slow down. Slow down just a little bit. And we find that James has connected us with three things that we actually have control over. He's saying you can choose what you hear. See, what I've recognized about us as human beings is that we hear what we want to hear. When you hear that subtle voice, that soft, sweet voice from the next room say, did you empty the dishwasher? We can choose. Do I want to hear that? No, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear what you asked. Did you take the trash out? I didn't hear that. But what we find so clear is that when we want to hear something, when we hear a voice that resonates with us or a message that we align with, we hear real quick. We find information that we can gather that supports our own personal beliefs, and, and we're quick to listen to that. And I think a lot of us have become really quick to listen to the voice of the world or culture or whatever it is. And we become more in tune with that and we're really quick to hear it. But when it comes to God's voice, sometimes it's still and subtle. It's not the rain and the wind and the clouds and the thunder and the lightning, but sometimes it's subtle and still. But we don't want to hear that. He's calling us to sacrifice. He's calling us to serve. He's calling us to be less so that he can become more. And we go, oh, I didn't quite catch that. I didn't, I didn't hear that. We're selectively hearing very well. But James says, you've got to be quick to hear. We choose that. The other thing he says is that we can choose how we respond. You have complete control over your response. You do. I know it feels like you're out of your control, but you have complete control of your response. And the third thing he says is, you have control over what makes you angry. And the three things work together. When we hear something and we say something, then anger almost inevitably can follow. The first thing James is telling us to do is you have to be quick to hear which is interesting, because those who trust and obey God, we learn or should be learning to adjust the speed of our listening and the speed of our speaking. That if you've aligned your life with Christ, then you should consistently be looking at tweaking your life. How am I going to adjust this? And how am I going to adjust that? And I'm, I'm, I'm too quick here and I'm too slow here. And we should be fine-tuning because we should all be striving to become more like Christ, better versions of ourselves. And so we should be fine-tuning these things that if God is truly in control, then you and I, we can afford to take the time to listen and to understand what he's saying. But because of the pace of life that many of us are living we don't want to take the time. We just want to rush. We just want to go. We just want to move. And, and a lot of us think we hurt God, but when God likes all the people you like and hates all the people you hate, you're not listening to God. You're listening to yourself. And a lot of us have mistaken the voice of God for our own inner narrative. And he's saying, if you'll just be quick to hear me and slow to speak, but see, practically, hearing involves waves entering the auditory canal, and it strikes the eardrum, and it causes a vibration. So it's kind of weird, but as I'm speaking, the, the, the vibration, the, the volume that's coming out of my mouth, and out of these speakers, or if you're watching online, it's your headset or whatever, it, it's moving, it's traveling, and your ears, they're, they're, they're picking it up, and it's going through the eardrum, and it's getting to smaller spaces where your brain is processing it. And what's interesting is that this is wildly out of your control. You can't 
speed up your ability to hear. It's not physically possible. I mean, you can't just push the gas pedal of your eardrums. It's, it's you're either hearing or you're, you're not. That hearing is this complex process involving many parts of the ear working together, and it's converting sound waves into information that your brain understands. And isn't that crazy? That I can say a word like crazy, or I can say a word like church, or cow, or hamburger, and your brain goes, I see those things. You get visual images of the words that I say, and it's weird, and it's interesting. That your brain has the ability to process things that are being said, but if you've ever talked to someone who speaks a different language, you don't process that. You don't have any information in your brain to connect or to align. And yet, when you find something that you understand, something that's familiar to you, you're able to hear it, but not just hear it. You're able to hear it quicker. Your brain's able to process that information faster. For example, this morning I came in, I came in early, and I turned my record player on, and I put a record on, and uh, it's Miles Davis live in Carnegie Hall, and that's just what was on the player. And I'm listening, and, and I'm familiar with it. I know Miles Davis is playing, and his style, and, and I can tell the difference. It's not Louis Armstrong or whatever. It's, it's Miles Davis. And, and when you hear the sound of the instrumentation, you know because you're familiar with it. When I hear the sound of my wife's voice or one of my children, I recognize the sound of their voice, and I know who it is. Many of you I'm familiar with. I can hear what you say, and, and I know who you are, but if you've ever talked to someone you don't know or heard music you don't recognize, your brain doesn't have a place for that, and so it starts working harder to try to figure it out and try to process and try to understand it. Whose voice is that? What are they saying? What is that music? What's going on? And all of a sudden, it takes you longer to process. The more familiar you become with the source, the quicker you are to hear that when you and I become disconnected from God, it takes us a lot longer to process what's being said. We can read the scriptures, but if we don't understand the God of the scriptures, it becomes a disconnect. And the more we immerse ourselves in time with God and prayer and silence and scripture reading, the more we become familiar with the source and the quicker we are to hear. The other thing I notice about sound is that the further back you are, the more of the delay there is. This room's not that big, so you're all hearing me at the same time, but if we were to get technical, those in the back are hearing me later. Those online, you're definitely delayed. Uh, there's this idea if we were in an arena, it would be a long delay. The closer you are to the source, the clearer and quicker you are to hear. The person sitting in the front is going to hear quicker than the person sitting in the back. So if you're sitting up front, you're living in the future. You know what I mean? Like you're hearing before everybody else. If you're in the room, you're hearing five, six seconds before anybody else. So we're future dwellers here. There's this idea that the closer we get to God, the quicker we hear what he's saying. The further we get, the longer it takes for us to hear from him. And what James is saying is, let's move closer to the source. Let's become more familiar to the source. And all of a sudden, we will be quicker to hear. Job 33 uh, says God speaks in a lot of ways, and though we don't always recognize it. And the reason is because we've become disconnected from the source. And God does speak a lot of ways. Some, maybe for you it's audible, or maybe for you it's in word pictures, or impressions, or feelings, or, or, or whatever. But God is always speaking, though we're not always quick to process and understand and hear. And in order for us to hear quicker, we have to become closer and more familiar. When it comes to God, we understand how this process takes place. It's in time. It's time in prayer and silence and Bible reading and getting to know the heart of our Father. The second thing James is saying is you've got to be slow to speak. You've got to be slow to speak. He's saying be quick to hear but slow to speak. I don't know about you, but has anybody ever um, heard something that someone said and they maybe misinterpreted it and they got really upset, maybe wildly overreacted, and then later went, oh, wait, you didn't say that? Like you meant something different? I mean, either. There's this idea, though, that 
we sometimes don't really listen and we respond before we really hear. I mean, not us, but people like us. And, and what I've realized is that shooting from the hip gets us in trouble a lot. Speaking before we process, speaking before we think, speaking before we really take time to hear ends up getting us in, in trouble and doubting that God is in control ends up speeding up our mouth and slowing down our mind. When we don't trust that God is in control, we go faster and we often go harder in the wrong direction. And if there was ever a generation in history that needs to slow down in our speech, it's our generation. Because we think that our opinion is the most important in everything. From the things we leave reviews on, on Google or Yelp or Amazon. Like, we think that our opinion needs to be heard and everybody needs to know what I'm thinking and what I believe. And, and everyone has an opinion and we feel like we have to voice that opinion. And, and we get in so much trouble and we cause so much damage and there's so much noise out there. And I do, I have a very strong opinion about a lot of issues that are going on in society. But not all of those opinions need to be heard. And there's this thing inside of us that feels better when we give voice to our thoughts, isn't it? I can put that out there and all of a sudden I feel better. Never mind that you have to absorb what I'm saying and you have to process it and you have to carry the weight of whatever I say. We just feel better. i got to get that out there. i got to get that off my chest. And you're leaving reviews on a restaurant because they didn't bring your water fast enough. And you're like, oh, I feel better. Nobody needed that. Nobody needed to hear that, and yet it's a relief for us that when we voice every thought before we process it, we end up hurting people. And a lot of us are the byproduct of hurt from others. People have done this to us. They've been quick to speak and slow to listen, and, and they've been hurting us. And James is building towards anger, and anger gets the, the, the main calling card here. But he reminds us that if we're quick to listen and slow to speak, it'll actually change what makes us angry. If we'll slow down, listen quickly, but be slow to move. There'll be less room for misunderstanding, less room for getting it wrong. We'll be less likely to say things or do things that cause hurt and harm. And if we're quick to listen and slow to speak, then we'll find ourselves being slow to anger. And that's the third thing James is reminding us to do. He's saying we've got to be slow to get angry. Now, I love this passage. It should be a life verse. Because... It doesn't say don't get angry. In fact, I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible without really fleshing that out that says don't get angry. It's actually giving you and I permission to get angry. And I love permission to get angry. My anger often comes quickly though. And it gets me in trouble. What James is saying to you and I is you can get angry. Anger is not bad. But your approach to anger can be. How we on-ramp into anger is often the sin, is often the mistake. It's interesting how being quick to hear and slow to speak will help us be slow to anger. It causes us to think twice. And this is a recipe for life. So if you're here or you're watching online and you haven't aligned your life with Christ and maybe you don't believe in this God thing and, and maybe for you, like you're, you're not quite sure, this is a still a really remarkable recipe for life. Your marriage, your, your, uh, your family relationships, your friends, your uh, workspaces. This is a recipe for life. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak and slow to get angry. This will help shape and change our uh, relationships that we have with other people. And if you're here and you find yourself in constant conflict with others, and you're consistently blaming other people for always being difficult, then you need to ask yourself, am I being quick to hear 
Am I being slow to speak? Am I being slow to anger? Because if you're in constant conflict with everyone around you and you're just constantly butting heads with everyone, there's a really good chance that the problem isn't with others, but it could be with yourself and your ability to follow this recipe for life. Because hurt people end up hurting people and healthy people, they don't hurt people as often and holy people shouldn't be hurting people and so we have to stop. And in verse 20 it says, for man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Which is interesting because more often than not, the church, followers of Christ, the big C church, Christians at large, we often use anger to try to evoke righteousness. Crusades, I mean, all the way up to now, we're in uh, a a challenging month for uh, Christians and for the church uh, as far as how we show love and what we do and how we navigate. And so we've often tried to use anger as a response to the world's issues. And it hasn't worked. And James is telling us it's actually not going to work. That man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. That God didn't send Jesus out of anger. But why did he send him? Out of love, right? We knew that one. Nobody just wanted to say. Out of love, compassion. He didn't send us to condemn, send Jesus to condemn the world. So I know he didn't send you and I to condemn it. So we have this moment where James is saying, let's slow down. Self-reliant anger, even when it's directed at injustice, cannot change another person's heart. It doesn't mean that all anger is wrong, but we have to be slow in approaching it. And we can't be quick-tempered and still hear from God. He's speaking to both those fits that we throw and those deep-seated feelings of anger and, and bitterness, those outbursts that we have and, and, and those unresolved issues and conflicts that we're feeling that many of us are way angrier than we would ever admit. Even hearing that, you're like, I'm not angry, you are. Leave me alone. Calm down. You're angrier than you think you are. And so am I. And I'm reminded of that when the car in front of me doesn't go when the light turns green because they're on their phone. I'm like, I'm way angrier than I should be. And when you see yourself through the lens of your children and they go, you should probably slow down. James is saying, let's calm down just a little bit. Let's slow down, which would imply that God cannot accurately implement the word of God and his direction into our life as long as we're just running around angry. And if we cannot hear from God clearly, then we can't do what he's calling us to do, which means all the things that we are doing might be causing more harm than good. And James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. That we deceive ourselves because action is fun. Action is uh, exciting and we think we just gotta get in there and make some things happen and we gotta do, do, do. And, And what James is saying is, if you haven't heard first, then you're deceiving yourself. James is drawing a clear line between hearing and doing. Hear quickly. Be slow to speak. And what we know is that uh, we have to be quick to hear. And in order for us to do that, we have to be slow to speak, to give ourselves space and time in our lives to actually be listening. And so there's a lot of weight on hearing. There's a lot of weight on us stopping and listening. And we often undervalue hearing. We undervalue hearing because we talk about prayer as a thing that we do. And a lot of us, if you've been following Christ for a while, you know the importance of prayer. And what prayer uh, in our minds is, and a topic for later discussion, is that we do this, and we say this, and we ask for this, and we, and God's saying, maybe, maybe it's time for us to implement silence into our prayer life. 
that I catch myself all the time talking to God rather than listening to him. And I know he loves to hear my opinions and what I think he should do. And I know he's like taking notes, like, oh, really? Okay, yeah, sure. But more than that, he, he desires for me to stop and listen. What does it look like for us to truly hear from God? That as much emphasis as we placed on hearing, equal amounts has to be put in doing. We can't hear and, and not do. And if you hear from God, it shouldn't motivate and move you to action. And if you never do what God is telling you to do, then hearing is wasted. And in James 1.23, it says, Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and persevere, pers perseveres into it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Hearing requires very little of us. Have you noticed that? And yet we do it so infrequently. It requires very little. I mean, carving out time and space is probably pretty challenging for us in a consistently uh, fast-paced world, but it really requires nothing of us. We can listen anywhere. You can listen now. You can listen to the car, wherever you are. We can be listening. Doing, on the other hand, requires everything of us, and yet we're often better at doing than we are at listening. And what James says is if we hear but we don't do, we're like someone who looks at themselves and forgets what they look like. Meaning, we look at ourselves and we see imperfections. We see problems, we see flaws that need to change, but we ignore and we forget them instead of actually making the effort to change. So we walk into rooms like this and we listen to scriptures like this and we go, oh, that's me. Oh, I should work better at that. Oh, I need to do that. And then we leave. We turn on the TV, we grab some lunch, we forget, and then Monday comes and Tuesday comes and we forget what God is inviting us to do to actually change in our lives, and then we come back in, and we get back to a room like this, and we're like, oh, I really need to work on that. And then we forget, see, in context, they didn't have mirrors everywhere. I know that's hard for us to imagine, because just walking in this building, you're going to pass at least two mirrors. We're so conditioned to look at ourselves, and to correct ourselves, and to make sure everything is right with ourselves. I noticed the other day that I'm more focused on me than I am you, and you're more focused on you than you are me. And so if we're all just more focused on how we appear to other people, but other people are always more focused on how they appear to us, does anybody really care? And yet there's this idea that we use mirrors so consistently to try to make sure everything is right the way we see that it should be. And they didn't have mirrors. What would happen is they would find a, a sheet of metal and they would catch a glimpse of themselves. And they go, oh, that's what I look like. That's, you know, where things are. And that's how things now, it probably shouldn't be, and I need to trim that and shave that. And then they would walk away and forget. A lot of us do this spiritually. James is saying when you come into church and you hear God's word and when you read God's word on your own and when you directly hear from God, but you walk away and you don't actually make the effort to change. And what's the point? If you're the same person with the same problems, doing the same thing, making the same mistakes that you were six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, we're doing something wrong. That the nature of the gospel is that it carves us and it conditions us and it molds us, it shapes us, prepares us to be more like Christ, to be better versions of ourselves. That when we look at ourselves through the lens of God, we see those things that need to change and we make the effort to change them. When we see the way Jesus sees, it changes how we respond. It changes what we listen to, it changes what we say, and it changes what angers us. 
We get mad at the car in front of us while ignoring large injustices that are taking place all around us. That when we start to hear from God and we respond in a way that is aligned with him, it changes what makes us angry. It changes what catches our focus and our attention. And the key to living the way that God calls us to live is not getting angry less, but getting angry at the things that anger God. The most powerful thing we can do is ask God to examine our hearts and our lives. Comb through me. He's saying, we have a lot of information about who God is, but it hasn't changed our speech or our behavior. We're the most information overloaded generation in history. And yet we still have so many problems. In fact, we're still facing many of the same problems that we have been for hundreds of years. More information is not the key. The right information is the key. And allowing that to change who we are. James 1.26 says, if anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James is describing what it means to be followers of Christ. He gives us three things. The first is control your tongue. And we're not going to spend any time on this because I'll be honest, we're going to hit this directly in an entire message. I'll give you a heads up in case you don't want to hear it. Uh, But it's strong and we'll address it later. But James is saying in this moment, control your tongue. Control your tongue. We've created this argument as a society that we're just honest. I'm just honest. I'm just telling the truth. And more often, you're not telling the truth or being honest. You've lost control of your tongue. And we can say very mean things in a very kind way for very good reasons, and it doesn't make it right. And James is saying, if you're going to align yourself with Christ, control your tongue. The second thing is, it says, you've got to show mercy and love to the oppressed. As the church, we've got to do better at showing love and mercy to the oppressed It's having the faith that bears the fruit of love and not just love for people that are easy to love, not just love for people who can love us back, but faith in Christ isn't just about hearing God and reading God's word and hearing God speak, but it's about how you act towards the orphans and the widows, that the changes that we make internally should be evident externally. The third thing he's saying is you've got to remain unstained from the world. You've got to remain unstained from the world. Imagine wearing a, a, a t-shirt, a white t-shirt, and you, you go to a picnic, and you, you've got a hot dog, and it's Nathan, so it's a good hot dog, and, and you put uh, mustard on it and, it, and it rolls off, and it splashes on your shirt, and you just go, well, that's just the way this shirt looks now. And you move on, and it's stained, and you go to another cookout because you're a popular person, and you get more stains on you, and you don't take care of the stain. You just keep wearing the same stained shirt, and it just become more stained, and you don't look like an artist. You look like a crazy person, and that's just now what you wear is a stained shirt. No one would think that you're a rational human being. And yet spiritually, this is how so many of us live. We involve ourselves in sin because the Bible tells us we're all sinners. If you haven't sinned today, the day's not over. We're all going to sin. It's a splotch on your shirt. If we don't deal with that, it becomes a stain on us now. And part of the reason we receive communion every week here is it's an opportunity for us to be reminded that our shirts are dirty. We've got to scrub them. We've got to wash them. And James is saying, you're going to get messed up out there, but you've got to come in and you've got to find forgiveness and, and ask for repentance. Otherwise, you just get stained up. Don't be stained by the world. And James, is, uh, Matthew rather, Jesus himself is saying this in Matthew 7, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, he'll be like a sensible man. I don't know about you, but I want to be 
like a sensible man. I actually want to be a sensible man, not even like a sensible man. He says there'll be a sensible man who builds his house on the rock. The rain falls and the river rises and the wind blows and it pounds the house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was what? It was on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain fell and the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded the house and it collapsed and its collapse was great. I feel like a lot of us are building houses. but We haven't actually asked God what he wants us to build our house on. And we're building them on sand. And we see the effects of it in our life, in our family, our relationships, our marriages, our finances. It's collapsed. And sometimes the collapse is great. And we're like, well, I did all of this work. God's saying, but you didn't listen first. You ever had a project in school and you just thought you heard and you just started building and you just took it and you got a bad grade? And, and then you're like, why did I get a bad grade? Because you didn't listen to the instruction. The instructions were really simple. Just do it. God's saying your collapse is great because you haven't taken the time to listen to the instructions. Slow down. The intention for our life is that we hear the word of the Lord. And then we do it. It cannot be any simpler. Like it really can't. We as human beings have overcomplicated it. We put in our own agendas and our own selfish pride and our own desires. And we piled all of this stuff on where God's saying, just listen and do what I say. Say, well, I haven't heard God. Then open the Bible because God is consistently speaking every moment you open his word. And don't just turn to the verses that you like. Read through the scriptures because the Bible will speak to us. God is speaking on a consistent basis that everyone who hears these words and doesn't act on them, though, is considered foolish. Because I think the words are so wise and the instructions that God has given us are so uh, beneficial to our practical lives that he's saying, just listen and do them. The difference we make in the world starts with the difference we're going to make in our life. What we're building towards, what we're working towards. Just because you hear doesn't mean you'll do. And James is inviting us to hear and to act, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But you cannot hear from a God, from my God, from our God and stay the same. You cannot. If God is God and you've heard from him, then something changes in our human condition. It may change in our spending, it may change in our uh, mindset, it may change in our speech, but something should always be changing because when we hear from God, that's why we're created new. He's doing something in all of us all the time. Be hearers and doers. It's the only proper response to God. It's the only proper response to a God who sent his son to die on the cross for our salvation. So we've got to understand the importance of what James is saying. Hearing without doing is self-deception. Doing without hearing is self-destruction, but hearing and doing is self-sacrifice. Hearing without doing is self-deception. We're deceiving ourselves if we think that doing without listening to God first is going to make a difference. Doing without hearing is self-destruction, and a lot of us understand this. If not, personally, you know someone who's done this. When we do without hearing, we self-destruct. Hearing and doing, though, that's obedience. That's the call that God has placed upon our lives. That's the, the, the commitment that he's been asking for us. It's placed in front of us. Can you come to a place where you can hear and you can do? This is the struggle. This is the journey that we go on together. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes this morning. In order for us to begin this journey of hearing from God clearly and following in his commands, we have to know God. It's much more challenging for us to hear from a God we don't know 
And as long as there's pride and as long as there's filth, it's going to cloud our ability to listen clearly. And so for some of us in this space, we've got to come to a relationship with Jesus first and foremost. It starts with us accepting Christ into our hearts. It starts with us understanding that he is God and we are not. For many others of us, it moves to a place where we've got to repent of our sin, clear the lines of communication and draw closer to God so that we may hear from him clearer. But every one of us in this space, we have something that we need to do. We have some changes that we need to evoke in our lives. We need to be moving and doing something that gets us to a place where we're hearing and doing. So if you're here in this space with every head bowed and eyes closed and you've never accepted Jesus into your life, you've never allowed God to be God, you've never aligned your life with his, I want to give you the opportunity in this moment. If that's you, I want you just to put your hand up. Nobody else is looking, just wave at me. Anybody in the room say, I need, I need God. Thank you. Anybody else? I need God. It has to start here with a right relationship with him. I need God in my life. Thank you. Anybody else? I need God in my life. I need to accept. Thank you. I need to accept Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and I want you just to repeat these words after me. I'm going to ask everybody across the room to just repeat these words after me. Say, Jesus, I accept you into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I choose from this day forward to follow you. In Jesus' name, let me pray for you. God, for those of us in the room asking for you in our lives, first time, millionth time, God, I ask that you would come and present yourself as real and mighty, where this conversation that we started accepting you is just one conversation of many that we need to have in our journey of faith. But God, I pray that you would be near to those who desire to hear from you. God, for those of us in this space that need to clear the lines of communication, in this moment we repent. We admit that we're sinners in thought, word, deed, and action. In this room, we admit that we've sinned in the things that we've said and the things that we've done. We admit in this space that we have sinned in the things we should have said but didn't, the things we should have done but didn't. Father, we're sinners in need of grace. So we ask for your mercy and your forgiveness to cleanse our lives, to purify our hearts so that we may be unstained by the world. So we thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for sins he did not commit. That he took the weight of our sins and he bore them on the cross. And so we accept the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that we do not deserve, yet you give it to us anyway if we'll accept it. So in this moment, we're receiving it today. So that in just a minute, we can receive communion with a pure heart and a pure mind so that we can go back out into the world and be your hands and your feet, hearing from you and doing what you've called us to do. So Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you would stand across the room and let's sing before we receive communion.
See you.